0: From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up for Sunday, August 30th, the year 2020, the most unique year most of us have ever seen. And we welcome back to the show Danny Flecka, who has not been here in a while because it's been a very odd several months in the world of sports but he wants to talk he has some things to say and we welcome him back to the show hello danny
1: how's it
0: going man i am good um first of all did you watch austin p versus central arkansas last night
1: <laughs> i was flipping through it uh, it was interesting to see a game, a football game go on, right? It was the first football game that was televised since the, you know, pandemic, so it was an interesting situation. There was a lot of football on yesterday, actually, too. There were a lot of high school games on, so, um, across the country, so it was interesting to see how different areas and different um, levels of, of play were handling the situation, um, you know, between the high school, the you know, I think there were games like in Alabama and um, Texas and I think North Dakota and then obviously you had this game Austin Seaver, Central Arkansas was in Alabama I didn't catch if there were any fans there or not but um, it was just interesting to see how much has changed and then also how little changes between the interaction between the athletes and the coaches and the staff. So um, it's going to be an interesting, uh, I think, situation to
0: monitor as we move forward with with football, especially. Before we get to the the things you really want to talk about, I have to ask you this, because if I don't ask you this, um, I'm not doing my job as a host. We are literally one week away. We're taping this at 12.36 p.m. Eastern time. We are two weeks away from the opener for so many teams on that Sunday. Jets at Bills, 1 p.m. Sam Darnold versus Josh Allen. How nervous should I be two weeks from right now with 24 minutes until kickoff?
1: I think every fan should be nervous, right? It's been an interesting situation of monitor with um, training camp and the reporting that's been done with the training camp. I think I see, you know, one second a report comes through that X Y Z player is doing great, and then four hours later another report will come out and say that he's not doing great. So I think every fan should be nervous. You know, we're not having the opportunity to see a lot of what's going on with the camp. I know that there's been some stuff that comes out. Some teams are doing their, their scrimmages, televised but for a lot of fans, it's going to be the first time seeing their team since the end of last year, and obviously with new pieces involved. Uh, I think I, I'm nervous watching from a fan, as a fan for the Giants. I'm also nervous from like a, a fantasy perspective and a, a gambling perspective. It's, you just don't know what that first week's going to look like and how not having preseason affects how teams approach the season You know, the famous Bill Belichick quote that, you know, he treats the first four weeks as preseason during the regular season. How does that translate this year with there being no preseason games and only being able to uh, practice against your own team? So it's going to be
0: interesting to see how the first couple weeks of the season look. All right. Well, we're talking to to Danny Flecker here on uh, Teeing It Up. You want to talk about three things today. Uh, basically, and there's a lot within this. The, the first is the overall landscape. So as we sit here right now, I'll just open the floor to you. Um, what, what's your feelings on what we're watching every day?
1: I think it's been interesting, right? from, I'm, I'm going to talk about it from a sports perspective, and then you know, we, we can dive into the other off-field issues that have affected the, the on on field or on court or on a perspective of, of the sports landscape. But I think, you know, it's been now, what, almost a month since the bubbles have opened up. And I thought, I think each week that has had one, the NHL and the NBA have done a really good job of, of making the experience as as close to realistic as possible. Now, you're never going to mimic an actual game and a stadium. The intensity of those games in the stadium with home crowd support and everything else like that but I think from a delivery perspective, you know, the, the broadcasting the announcing the scheduling um, I think it's all been pretty good, you know, I think these, these league have done as much as they could with as little uptime available to them and it really had the players buying to the sports perspective of it, um everything else is a different situation, right? But, like, from a pure, like, X-Nose and product standpoint, I think that they've done a really good job of giving the fans as much content as possible, but also keeping the players as safe as they they can with the resources they have available to them at this given point in time. So, you know, I've been pleased with that, you know, from, from a viewing perspective. The one thing I think that seems a little off, I don't know if it's just me, the games look slower for whatever reason. And I don't know if that's because there's no fans or or whatever it is, but I think that's the only negative I have from what I've seen. But overall, you know, it's nice for me to be able to sit on my couch at 7 o'clock at night and have a game on and be able to watch it. And, And no, I have not talked about baseball because it's just not something I've gotten into because I. I
0: don't know, Baseball a team. Like, it's all over the place every single day. Um, let me uh, just dive in there for a second because I, I think there's an interesting aspect to this, which is that you do need buy-in and you do need um, fan buy-in, player buy-in, coach buy-in. And they've gotten... All three and to varying degrees across these sports. When you say that it looks slower, which sport are you referring to? Or is it all of them?
1: I think it's all of them. Um, Typically, I think like hockey, you know, watching the hockey, it looks a little bit slower. Again, it might be me. It it could be maybe the production isn't, you know, not having as many cameras on or whatever it is. It just looks a little bit slower. But again, it could be also that the intensity of the game is isn't what we're used to. You know, again, if you're going, if we're talking about playoff hockey or playoff basketball, you always have that added element of the crowd. With no crowd, perhaps that takes away from some of the intensity, some of the
0: speed of the game. I would also argue, Danny, as we're talking to Danny Flecky here on Teeing It Up, that especially in basketball, there have been a lot of lopsided games and a lot of lopsided series. And we've seen... In the case of that Clippers-Mavs game, where 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 Luca hits the shot, you've seen the intensity, and I think you've seen the pace up and down, back and forth. But I think a lot of these games have been so lopsided that it can get one-sided very inter very quickly. And I am curious as family members and friends start to join in round two after they clear quarantine. Um, if some of this changes as we get some more natural sound in the arena instead of the piped-in sound slash the virtual fans.
1: Yeah, it'd be interesting for me, you know, I, I'm just spitballing here, but, you know, given this situation that they find themselves in, I think a lot of people, like with basketball, that's different than, like, with hockey, mm-hmm. is that they're not playing in a basketball arena, right? Yeah. They... <clears throat> put together what they could with the situation and the resources they have it'd be interesting to see if they talk about it if they you know if it out there maybe they move to the Orlando Magic Arena in the conference semifinals and the finals this gives more of that, that ambiance of being a basketball game in an arena but who knows you know I think one thing that's happened and is happening you know is that every single day things change and for right now, we have to be thankful that we have the opportunity to watch the game and that from a, a, a product perspective that we're going to get, you know, something that's resembling as close to the product as possible. Um, you know, I'll, I'll take that right now because, you know, as we saw, it took months to get here and every single day, something happens that can take it away from us. So we just have to be appreciative
0: of what we have right now. Absolutely. We sure do need to be appreciative because we do not know um, when this is all going to come to a halt. And You look at baseball and uh, yesterday was the first time since late July that they had all 30 teams playing and abruptly that comes to a stop because somebody in the Oakland A's organization um, has now tested positive. We're talking to Danny Flecky here on Teeing It Up. Here's my observations about this. I think basketball has looked great visually. Um, It has looked natural. What the NBA did with these three arenas at at Disney's Wild World of Sports. And if any of you have seen that Orlando um, Thanksgiving holiday tournament, these are those same venues that just look way different because of all the video boards. Haven't watched a lot of hockey. I can't comment on that. Baseball to me is weird just because of how big it is. And when you pipe in crowd noise into such a huge cavernous place, it can come off sounding kind of odd. And I'm very curious to see how this plays out in football when they start piping in some crowd noise. Because these are big places that are going to suddenly be um, way empty. What have been your observations um, when you have watched baseball as to the difference between um, virtual crowd noise in a um, smaller space versus virtual crowd noise in a cavernous space?
1: Well, baseball is boring, right? Just from even a normal perspective, baseball is a boring sport. So not having any of the extra that you would get at a normal baseball game I think takes away from the game itself so it's, like you said it's empty it's, it's you know quiet it's just a boring sport so you kind of need for baseball to have that that extra stuff there to one keep your interest and two not make it just seem like it's uh, you know people playing at a park so baseball is kind of at a disadvantage there I think the other sports that have been played outside like soccer and um, football you know soccer's been going on now for a little while it's the same thing right like is so dependent a lot on the ambiance of the game as well as the play of the game and not having that crowd really takes away from, from that ambiance
0: and I think we're going to see that
1: a lot in football too especially on the college level you know college is so dependent on on where it's being played and the, the fans and the students and everything else along those lines, it's going to be interesting to see what that looks like in a couple of weeks when these big SEC stadiums that fit a hundred thousand people have twenty thousand fans or no fans at all.
0: Can be very very odd. All right, then um, tragedy strikes, and what happened? In Wisconsin has reverberated um, around all of sports and we had a week unlike any other as players decided enough is enough and they would boycott um, and step away from the court or the field or the diamond um, or the pitch to instead or the ice and instead speak of social injustice and attempt to spark. Uh, much needed um, long term change in the communities in which they play or live um, your thoughts on what we saw this week led once again just like with the NBA bubble um, and, and having a bubble period led once again by the NBA yeah and you know we're going to I'm going to try not to be political because this is a very
1: political Situation: People try to say keep sports and politics separate. Don't you know? Don't mix them. But from the players' perspective, what they did, you know, a lot of reports came out about how it went down, and you know how some players felt about not necessarily boycotting, but the way it was done. Regardless of all that, the situation that they find themselves in, and the situation that they did. I was 100% behind. You know, there comes a point in time where we as people need to be able to to make decisions about how we want our future to look like. And these players, the majority of whom come from communities that probably have had this type of situation happen or have seen this type of injustice. Again, I can't comment on that. I didn't grow up in that situation, and I've never been faced with that. But these players know better than we do about how these these actions affect communities, affect families, affect people. And for them to have the platform and the leverage to be able to to say we've had enough, I think it's very powerful. And yeah, people will argue it's not going to change tomorrow. I don't think that's the point. The point is, is that as organizations, as companies, as people, when you have the reach and the market and the you know, audience to communicate a message, you should be able to take advantage of that. And I think that's what these players are trying to do. I think that's what they want their owners to get on board with. I think that's they want the leaks to get on board with because I think right now there's too many polarizing figures in the world that take away from the type of progress we are trying to make and these players can band around or create committees or create you know whatever education platforms that will educate people like us that maybe don't have the insight as to what they've experienced that will be better for it so I thought it was a powerful move I was on board with it you know from a fan perspective it's dunk not having the games on, right? Let's just be honest with that. You know, you you get into the swing of things, you want things to, you know, you feel a sense of normalcy come back after we've had six months of not normal, Um, but if this is what it takes to create those conversations and to create the opportunity for us to be better, then I think these players did exactly what they needed to do, and we'll see what comes from this, because... It's one thing to say what you're going to do, especially when you have, you know, owners and, and the league say, you know, we're going to do this, this, and that. I think as we've seen with college athletes and now we're seeing with pro athletes, the time of these athletes, sitting, you know, sitting on their hands and not doing stuff for their community on a, I think on a national level, it has gone. You know, we're going to start seeing teams and players to be more active and vocal about how they want the community that they play in to be
0: shaped. Well said. And I think you're going to see the start of this with the opening of arenas as polling places. Um, this is going to be huge for a lot of places and for a lot of teams and in a lot of cities. Um, And just even from a COVID perspective, A, uh, uh, by the way, I'm on board 100% with what you said. It was very well articulated. And uh, thank you, Danny Fucker, for your insight. Um, But I think in terms of making your arenas open to a polling place, the beauty of that is that you can easily socially distance. These are so many arenas that have either are new or been recently refurbished and have huge concourses and multiple entrance and exit points, and it is very easy to find a way to socially distance yourself and vote safely while in these spaces. And I think that move spurred by, the, um, by, by LeBron and by others on, on the MBA PA executive committee um, were really um, smart to make that something that they wanted the owners to do. I thought that was a very smart move. In terms of... Oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: It's a no-brainer, right? And it should be not even limited to basketball arenas. It should be football stadiums, high school football stadiums, you know, like these places that have, you know, wide open spaces that you can, like you said, properly social distance, create multiple entry and exit points. You know, it's the most common sense thing to do in the time that we're in right now. And it should be something we do moving forward because a lot of the voting might be in areas that, you know, I'm, you know, again, I'm not trying to get political here. I can't believe we're here in 2020 and we're still talking about how hard it is or how, you know, yeah, how hard it is to get voting done. Yeah. Oh, is that, you know, how is that a thing? And I think one cool thing I saw today, you know, talk about instant change and educating people. You know, I think it was, um, uh, Cody Brissett on the cult made sure everybody on the team and organization was registered to vote and that's how you go about doing this thing right you educate people on you know what they have to do you teach them you get them situated and then you give them the resources available to execute on that education and I think that's a really powerful thing because you know the simple thing is to say you want change but the only way to get change done is to be involved. And I think that's what these players and these leagues... Well, that's what the players want, right? They want people to say that they're going to do the change, but to actively show how that change is being done. And I think that's a very simple way
0: of doing it right now. There's a lot more that has to be done, but that's a very simple way to get things done. Absolutely, and just to piggyback on that in, in on two fronts. Number one... Um, the NBA Players Association estimates that only 20% of those eligible to vote, obviously a very diverse league, not everybody who plays in the NBA qualifies, but those who who are eligible, only 20% are registered, um, so that's an obvious one. And number two, if you are of the belief that social distancing and masks and Six Feet Apart is going to be with us for a while, and maybe even especially something like social distancing be with us for a long period of time, Uh, having people vote in arenas and other places similar to that becomes really vital because then you start ending up in state and local elections that can be on separate days than federal elections. This can be something that becomes long-term. And as you said, and, and, and as I said before, there's so many entrances and exits and loading docks and different ways you can get people in and out of the building that it becomes something that would be really obvious for a long duration of time. Um, Also obvious, as we transition away from off-field stuff onto different off-field stuff, is how to play college football if you're a Power Five conference. And I'm just going to curse here, sorry, but the Big Ten has completely been a shit show. And is messing everything up for everybody and I know you have uh, some feelings on this so I'm going to sit back in my seat, have a drink and let you roll. Yeah, I mean the Big Ten out of all
1: the power conferences really threw the poop, right? Because if I remember correctly, I'm trying to, you know, all the days blur together now but I think it was like early August they came out with their proposal where they only facing conference games there's going to be 10 conference games blah 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 yada yada cool that's great then they came out with a schedule release they had a whole special on it and I was watching it on the Big Ten Network and I was like hmm interesting seems like this league has really got their stuff together seems like they have a plan looks like we're good to go and then three days later they come and they say they're going to they're gonna cancel football um, and fall sports and it took us a 180. And again, I know that every single day new information is becoming available to us and a lot of different things from testing to side effects to immunity and all this stuff. But I just think they did themselves such a disservice from a PR perspective to come out and say we're doing this, this, and this, and then to just pull the rug out from underneath not only the athletes and the staff, but to the community. You know, these communities. Rely on these football programs to be up and running. And that's a sad thing to say, right? Because you should never be relying on something else to produce, you know, economic growth or stability within within the community. But that's just the case with football in these areas, you know, especially like in Nebraska and Iowa where there isn't really a lot else going on. Um, and they have in those areas have also been hit pretty hard by what we've seen the last couple of months. And then they come out and say that they might start in Thanksgiving. It's just you know, can you make up your mind on what it is that you're doing? And I think I understood the perspective that they took when they said they were canceling, but the execution of what they've done the last you know, the month of August has just been absolutely terrible. Um, because now I think you find yourself in a situation where you're scrambling and you see that other programs in other conferences have been able to get by with a lot of what they've implemented. You now say to yourself, oh, well, maybe there was a solution here and we missed it. Now we have to recoup it. And, of course, with that comes money. Now I think when they finally saw what potentially could happen if they didn't play football, the actual financial patients implementation, now—they are going to try to salvage it, and it just makes no sense to me why they why they stopped in the beginning. Because I think what a lot of these programs did, and a lot of what college football should have done in general, was say, "Hey, let's get as many teams to play as possible. Let's be as flexible as possible. Let's build in, you know, natural bye weeks, along you know, flexible schedule dates." allow us to get a a season in from September to the end of December, and then we figure out what to do with the playoffs and bowl games and everything else like that. And I think that's the way they should have approached it, but obviously now they they want to come back in and play, and we'll see how that goes if they decide to do that.
0: I'm just really confused, because the Pac-10 cited this heart condition. And the point that I made at the time was, and I said it to you and I said it to many others, if you believe that there is an issue with a heart condition that could be a side effect for otherwise healthy people from COVID-19, what medical data are you seeing that the ACC, Big Ten, and ACC don't find to be as serious? Can we please share data to come to a consensus? Now, you flip around... And it's like, wait a second, you can play in November? Which means you can be practicing in October? Something is so amiss here that we were shutting this down because of a heart condition and trying to get this to the spring that now suddenly you can play in November and December? And maybe the rapid test would identify this faster and that's what they're banking on to... to Have these people not come down with a heart condition? I'm not an expert when it comes to medical stuff. I don't play one on Twitter or on this podcast. But that just seems so odd to me, Danny, that why did three leagues play on, including a recommendation from Duke Medical Center, one of the top medical centers in the nation to play on, the Big Ten and Pac-12 cited this heart condition as the reason for stopping, and then, oh, wait, we can actually play in November.
1: It makes no sense, right? It just doesn't, and it's, I'm not going to downplay the side effect that one player or person could get from catching this disease. But you have to also acknowledge the fact that these issues come up regardless of a pandemic or not. There are players every single year that are told they cannot play a sport because of a lingering heart condition or medical issue that they have and as the athlete and as a school you have the responsibility to make sure that you put that player in a safe situation and if you find that this is an issue for players then you don't let them play and it's just I guess frustrating from a perspective you know as a as a person right What is your decision? What are you doing? And come out and say why you're doing it and actually mean it. Don't come back now and say, oh, well, the ACC and the SEC and the Big 12, like, they're doing great right now. Maybe we should reconsider. Wasn't that always an option? (laughs) Right? Like, couldn't that always have been an option that you could just say, we're going to keep going. We have protocols in place. Our students are, we're going to make sure our students are as safe as possible. The moment we say they're not safe, we're going to, re- we're going to adjust and make sure that they are safe. We're going to start on this day, and, the, and, you know, if for whatever reason we can't, we can push it back X number of weeks, then we can figure it out. And the Big Ten and Pac-12 just had no interest in that. They saw the data. They were like, we're going to just pull the plug, and we're going to play this spring. Which, again, if we're going on a player safety... You know, if we're saying player safety is the reason why we're not playing, don't give me the BS that you're going to play in the spring. That's actually worse them playing in the fall. It's actually more of a risk for the players to play in the spring than to play in the fall. And on top of that, you're, putting, you're going to be putting out a pretty terrible product because no top-tier college player is going to play in the spring with the potential of them getting hurt and then have to turn around and play four months again in the fall. That's just not the way it's going to happen. So, I just think the Big Ten and Pac-12 really did a bad job of handling the situation, and on top of that now they look like like a bunch of dummies. I don't know if the Pac-12 has been entertaining the fact of coming back and playing or not, but, you know, the Big Ten is definitely in a situation where they made the wrong choice, and again, we talked about it earlier, players are no longer going to just sit on the sideline and let other people determine their fate. You know, they're just not. And these college players have become increasingly more vocal about how they view themselves in a society where their likeness, their production is coughed on by multiple people, and they don't see a dime of that. And I think that's what we're starting to see, is that these players are like, if I have to put myself at risk to do something that I love. I'm going to tell you about it, and whether or not you want to hear it, I'm going to keep telling you until
0: you get sick and tired of me telling you you do something about it. Yeah. Um, and and just to add one thing onto that, now you have outbreaks at these schools. You have schools that try to do in-person classes that are doing it remotely now because of off-campus partying and yet there's this disconnect between student life for everybody else and student life for athletes. And it's just, there's a lot of people not on the same page right now, and that's not helping anybody's cause. Um, One of the points that was made by, I believe, James Franklin uh, was that they thought that a winter league would allow these guys to get into the NFL draft get them properly slotted, and get them partially, uh, uh, get them properly, sorry, picked. Then there's the Trevor Lawrence's of the world who came out and said, no, we want to play. We're safer here than we would be elsewhere. And they said, you know, we'll be disciplined, so on and so forth. You watch a lot more college sports than, than, than I do. You are way more tuned into this than I do. If... You are a Trevor Lawrence. Is it advantageous for you now to play? Now, now the ACC is obviously going forward. So, is it? Are could you possibly hurt your stock because Justin Fields is either going to play or not going to play? It would depend on when the heck you know the Big Ten plays football. Could too much data almost be there for someone like Trevor Lawrence um, if they do play a false schedule. Because then, and we'll talk about this as the fall goes on, you get into a whole bunch of issues with the playoffs and crowning a national champion. But Trevor Lawrence right now is right up there as being the number one pick in next year's draft. And could a sample size that's unique and different than the normal sample size... Impact how teams look at him in the NFL?
1: I don't think so. I think, you know, I I look at this from an athlete's perspective that at the end of the day, you've been doing something your entire life, you've been working your entire life to get to a point where you have the opportunity to compete. And I think that's the main driver for a lot of these kids, right, is that they want to compete. They want to have the opportunity to realize their dream, And for a lot of them, this is their last shot to do that. And I think having that taken away from you has sparked a lot of what's going on right now with these college athletes coming out and saying, you know, well, we want to be safe. We want to have the opportunity to play. But at the same time, we're not going to let you take advantage of us and not... Have the opportunity to be who we are. So I think from the from the college perspective, it's, it's very simple. If you're an athlete, it's, well, let me have the opportunity to play and create my own destiny. Whatever happens after that is you know what was meant to be. But for a lot of these kids, you know, this is their only opportunity to potentially have a shot at the NFL or Canadian Football League or whatever it is to decide to do you know after they're done playing. But for a guy like Trevor Lawrence. You know, he could not play or play this year, and I think it's pretty safe to say he'd be be take number one. But then you also have to think about the way that his season ended last year and how that leaves a taste in his mouth. And, you know, his instinct is to get back out there and play. So, you know, I just think the colleges, at the the end of the day, have to look look themselves in the mirror and say, you know, what are we? Are we a business or are we a college? Are we here to educate, you know, the, the next generation of, of kids? Or are we here to profit off of our sports program? Once they make that decision, then they can move forward in the right right way. And you know, I think what we've seen with college athletics and college programs in general is them hovering between the lines of needing the football team in order to do the ladder, right? You need to have the football revenue, in order to make your institution what it is. Very few colleges can operate, you know, as Harvard does or as Yale does. They just don't have that bandwidth or those resources available to them. So for a lot of these schools, they look back and they say, well, if we don't have the football team, we potentially are going to be losing on a lot of different areas of of our institution. So once colleges can come out and say, yes, we need football to... Be able to provide education to the students that we have here, and I think I would feel more comfortable with that. But until colleges come out and say that, then you know, you know, they're really just robbing Peter to pay Paul. So, you know, they're they're looking to stay safe publicly, but at the same time, have kids go back to school and charge them thousands and thousands of dollars, and then they, you know, they don't get the experience they they signed up for, and they don't really care whether or not you get it as long as they have the money in the bank. So, you know, these schools do owe it to these kids to, to provide them that opportunity to to let them live out their dream. Whether or not we're going to see that, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how the fall plays out.
0: That we will. We're talking to Danny Flecker here on Teeing It Up. Um, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what's the best way of asking this next question, which is different about football. Um In terms of the NFL, are you for virtual fans or are you uh, anti-virtual fans?
1: I'm I'm impartial, to be honest with you. I mean, it's a little weird watching it on the basketball uh, games, like the the virtual fan board or whatever it is. I'll be honest. I I think one sport that has done a really good job that no one talks about is NASCAR. NASCAR was the first sport to come back. It had one positive test that was Jimmy Johnson, I think, and that lasted, like, three days, so it was a false positive. It had a lot of different venues that have allowed fans to come back at a partial capacity. I, myself, went to a NASCAR race up in New Hampshire, and it was at limited capacity, and it was a great experience. It's actually, you know... From a fan perspective, I know that you want to fill the stadium, but it's actually kind of nice having less people there, <laughs> to be honest, right? You get more space, You're not people aren't on top of you, and everything else like that. So I think these football teams should book as much as they can into allowing that type of flexibility for their fans to have, you know, limited capacity or a lottery system that allows for tickets on, on Sundays, however it is. As I think you do have to be safe, you have to be practical, you have to be smart. But I think that football and soccer and these sports that are played outside have an advantage that a lot of other sports don't have that are played inside is that you are, you are outside, you have 80,000-plus feet stadiums that allow for proper distancing where you can fill your stadium you know, at a certain capacity And allow fans to have an experience as well. So I think that's the route I would look to go if I was a football team, if my jurisdiction allowed it. But the virtual side of it, it is what it is, right? It's a way to create an experience and and provide content to people that you might not be able otherwise. Whether it's there or not to me, it's not going to take away from me watching the game
0: you're the fourth person I know who attended that race and the fourth person I know who really enjoyed the experience so
1: I'll tell you what I mean they they limited seating to I think like 15% of the capacity there um, I don't know if you have ever been to a NASCAR race or a, um, a racetrack I it's huge Yeah. so I mean you know they, that stadium fits the one in New Hampshire I think 80,000 plus people when you looked out and you saw people, obviously you saw empty spaces. But they, were, it looked, they looked fine from like a visual perspective. There was no one sitting next to me besides the people I went with. There was no one sitting behind me. There was no one sitting in front of me for a couple of rows. Did a really good job of spacing it out. Did a really good job of, of spacing out the vendors inside the track as well. When you went to go park, you were still able to have that experience of tailgating and, and hanging out there's a lot of advantages that a sport like football and soccer had that basketball and hockey don't. You have already, on top, especially for football, you have such a huge amount of space there that if you are limiting capacity, that trickles down not only to, you know, what you have as far as the fans there, but you also, like, for parking as well. You know, you can space people out and and create that atmosphere that you still get on a normal Sunday back in 2019, right? So there are ways to make that possible. I just think it's not the the team's choice. They're not choosing it. They have to work with a lot of different moving parts to make that possible. But if I was a football team, I would be looking at every possibility to see if that's that's an option for me moving forward. Again, I know like there's been a lot of teams that have come out and said, you know, we're doing this, we're doing that. You know, like our Giants and our Jets, they're not having fans right now. Does that change in a couple of weeks or a month or two? Who knows? But, you know, I, I still think that there's opportunity there for fans to get some sort of an experience on game day that we are
0: used to. I'm talking to Danny Flecky here on Teeing It Up. Um that is something that I think down the line especially later in the season some teams may look towards and I'll just bring up golf for a second A it's now four straight weeks with no COVID positive tests in the PGA Tour but B they've been able to use drones and some stuff that they normally can't use uh, television wise because of that but there is some more natural sound, and yes, it's weird to have nobody roaring and no fans, and the Masters later this year with no fans is weird. A major with no fans is, was weird at the PGA and will be weird at the U.S. Open in two weeks. But that's a sport also that I think has come back, you know, because it is so naturally social, socially distanced, and uh, has come back well and played to its strengths, which is audio and same way NASCAR on television has played to its strengths because of, uh, of engine audio, um, those things have, have come back um, really well, although it is odd to see um, four people in a gallery, and the four people in the gallery are, are uh, rules officials, volunteers, marshals, and maybe your wife, um, or, or your swing coach, or, or somebody in your camp. Uh, it's just a very odd atmosphere out yeah, there. I mean,
1: well, one thing that I, I'm I'm looking at when I have seen stuff come out is that we've gotten to that point I think with this situation, with the pandemic in general, where a lot of outbreaks, a lot of clusters aren't related to sports, right? I haven't seen anything come out and say, Well, this NASCAR race or this, you know, uh, football game or whatever it is has been linked to, you know, seventy positive tests. We have seen it with a lot of other irresponsible actions that have come out, and obviously pre-pandemic sporting events were a hot spot. But at that time, we weren't educated about what was going on. Now we are, so I think going to watch a football game outside or going to watch a golf golf uh, tournament isn't as you know. How is it any different than maybe going out to the grocery store? You know, there there are ways to make things safe and I think certainly have done that and I think we've gotten to a point where we have been educated enough on a way to make that possible and again, is it worth the risk? I don't know, I don't make those decisions I personally am not a guy that goes to football games on Sundays so for me my my viewing experience isn't changing but there are a lot of people out there that do a lot of people have a lot of money invested in it and uh You know, it's it, for some people, it's, it's an outlet. So I, I think there are definitely ways to make it make it possible. If we see it, I would love to see that. Obviously, it'd be great to, to see that we've gotten to a point where we can start making these decisions and educating ourselves on, on the proper protocol and and allowing people to have that that outlet. And if we don't. For me, as long as we have the sports back, I'm fine. Honestly, right? I'm going to be happy knowing that I can sit down on Sunday for for ten hours from one to one PM to eleven PM and watch
0: the game. So, as we close up shop here, anything else that you want to mention that we haven't gotten to on this uh, podcast, Danny?
1: I mean, as always, right, we'll see what the, the next couple of weeks bring. Usually I, I close out by saying, you know, like what's on the docket and everything, but I think the one one thing that, you know, concerns me moving forward is this week is that it's a holiday week, right? And we've seen historically, right, we've had Memorial Day in 4th of July, that this is where things tend to get a little dicey from a social perspective. My hope is that, we get through the next two, three weeks with people being responsible and educated and, and practicing the right, you know, practicing common sense so we don't have these things taken away from us because as we've seen, when things go bad and one person makes a decision, you know, it, it tends to have ripple effects. So my hope is that we get through the next couple of weeks and we see, especially on the college perspective, right, for kids on campus, them be smart, understand what's ahead of them, you know, be responsible, and then from there, you know, we'll be able to get something normal this fall, from a viewing perspective on the sports side of things, but overall, obviously, you know, every everyone needs to be safe, and, and you know, that's really the main concern right now.
0: Yeah, it's, um, it is going to be interesting to see how Labor Day weekend Um, Plays out and what the long term ramifications um, wind up being um, from a holiday weekend. So, everybody out there, stay safe, wear a mask, um, and behave yourselves because we need this to um, come out on the right side of things Um, going forward. Danny Flecka, thank you as always for coming on Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. Thank you, my man. Talk to you soon. You got it, and thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling.